Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for the Joy of the Gospel with your host, Bishop Michael Sheridan of the Diocese of Colorado Springs. Stay tuned as we discuss matters of faith, culture, and evangelization. And now, here's the host of the Joy of the Gospel, Bishop Michael Sheridan of the Diocese of Colorado Springs. Hello, everybody. This is Bishop Michael Sheridan bringing you the Joy of the Gospel and today uh, I'm visiting with Brittany Vesely. Brittany is the, well, the sort of new, Brittany's been, been at it for a few months now, uh, recently named Executive Director of the Colorado Catholic Conference. The, the Catholic Conference is, is really made up of the bishops of the state of Colorado, from Denver, from here in Colorado Springs, and from... Um, Pueblo and serves as the legislative arm of these bishops. So, uh, Brittany, thank you. Thanks for being with us today. And um, uh, let, let's start by having you introduce yourself to our uh, to our listeners uh, a little bit about uh, your background and um, uh, your interests. Go ahead. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bishop Sheridan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, my background is that I'm from Tucson, Arizona, but my family now lives in Colorado, so I've called it home for some time. I went to Colorado Christian University and then went to the East Coast where I did some work in Philadelphia, went to D.C. to work in domestic policy with the U.S. Congress, moved to Indianapolis, worked in, uh, with edu- on education policy with state lawmakers across the country, and then my husband, husband and I moved back to Colorado in 2018. We now have an infant son. And along the way, I also um, became Catholic, so that's been a great joy in my life, and to live out my Catholic faith, doing work for the Church has been wonderful in public policy. Um, and to that end, the Catholic Conference, to give a little bit of background for our listeners, it represents, as, as Bishop Sheridan mentioned, the three dioceses in Colorado, the four bishops, in public policy. We promote Catholic social teaching and the common good in the legislature, but also we react and engage with the judicial and the executive branches as well, representing our bishops and our Catholic community, um, and also engaging in our parishes. So we're going to be reaching out to each of you in our in our parish level as well. And Brittany, you, uh, if I remember correctly, you um, you have worked at studied at uh, at the Heritage Foundation. That's something that's pretty well known, I think, to. Uh, to almost everybody. Tell us a little bit about your work there. Absolutely. So when I was in D.C., I was at the Heritage Foundation. It's a national think tank located right next to Capitol Hill. Um, When I was there, I focused on domestic policy issues that included education, family, welfare, religious liberty, and life policy. While I was at Heritage, it was actually during the big fights, the U.S. Supreme Court of DOMA and Obergefell decisions and the redefinition of marriage. So very active in, in that those issues specifically, and we see the ramifications going on today. Um, I also wrote a lot on the Common Core issues in education, which was another federal overreach into our education system that, unfortunately, a lot of our Catholic schools have adopted some of the Common Core language as well across the country. So it's impacting across the board. Um, a lot of uh, defending <laughs> traditional values is what I did at the Heritage Foundation, but it, it, it was very valuable to see uh, what was going on on the federal level. And when I left Heritage, I went to uh, for the Freeman Foundation for Education Choice, which works on the state level in education policy. And that's really where uh, the bread is baked when it comes to education policy. Most of that, the, the decision-making that happens in governance for education is still done on the local level. 
Okay, Brittany, as, as executive director of the Colorado Catholic Conference, you serve really as, as, as a representative of the bishops to the legislators of our state, as well as, as an advisor to us bishops regarding what's going on. What, what, uh, what do you do? I know our legislative session is what, from January till May, although it was shorter this year because of the, uh, because of the virus. Um, but what, what, what would your days be like up there in Denver at the state capitol? You, you talking to legislators? You lobbying? What are you doing? Definitely. So uh, as you pointed out, this was a very strange year, and it was strange for me to jump in in the middle of a strange year, too. Um, it was a, a blessing in the sense that everything was very fast-paced, and I, uh, the trial by fire went very well. But at the same time, um, this was an odd year. So the, what we do in January through May is engage directly with lawmakers. We do direct lobbying and test, doing uh, testimonials at, in, in front of uh, state lawmakers at the Capitol, um, but we also engage the community to make sure that our uh, religious and lady understand what's going on at the Capitol and how they can engage and how they can also um, promote a culture of life and human dignity and the common good at, at the Capitol and in legislation. So that's a lot of the fast-paced action that goes on January through May. The rest of the year is really uh, depends on the year. So this is an election year. So we're preparing for our voter guides. We're preparing for some major uh, items that will be on the ballot, including Proposition 120 with the late-term abortion ban in November. And we're also preparing for next legislative session as well for a lot of the legislation that's been uh, uh, postponed indefinitely until next year. Your, your background has um, uh, made you someone who's, who's really interested in uh, Catholic education and and. Uh, the right of parents to choose education for their children, which has always been not only important issue, kind of a hot issue, not just for Catholics, I think, but for for a lot of parents who who would like to uh, exercise that right to uh, to choose private education. So, of course, with no uh, financial help from from the state. You're, you're, uh, you worked for, or you were oh, a founder of Catholic Education Partners, right, that focuses on supporting parents who choose to send their children to, to Catholic schools. I'd like you to talk for a bit on, on that issue. It, it, it is kind of a hot-button one for people because it usually falls into that big pot of separation of, of, of church and state, but it's 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 something that's that's so very important to many parents, and uh, I'd like to hear your take on that. Absolutely. So while I was at Heritage, I actually fell in love with school choice policy, and with all of the losses that we suffered with defending traditional marriage and the family, I saw school choice as a way to really re-empower the family with the decision-making authority over their child's education. So the way school choice works is uh, vouchers and education savings accounts um, allow for a portion of the state funding that would have followed a child to the public school to then be given to the parent to direct to a school of choice, and that includes religious education. And by and large across the country, actually, parents are choosing Catholic education about 40% of the time. So we're the largest shareholder of all private school choice students as well as the largest shareholder of all private school students across the country, too. So um, my work at Catholic Education Partners was actually commissioned by the U.S. Conference of Bishops in 2016, 
And the idea was is that a lot of the the policymakers and, and policy wonks that are involved in school choice policy did not represent the interests of the Catholic Church, even though we had the biggest share of private school choice students. So we created a new nonprofit called Catholic Education Partners that uh, whose mission was to advance policy that empowers families and children to enjoy the benefits of a, of a Catholic education. And like I said, school choice is important um, and primarily for the Catholic Church because the church teaches that parents are the primary educators of their children and that government should allow parents to use public funding to send their children to schools that best fit their conscience and not just public school. Um, and because we do offer so many resources to parents um, across the economic spectrum, Catholic education specifically has had the biggest share of private school students across the country. Right now, we're hovering around 40% of all private school students in the country, despite losing half of our schools and half of our students in the last 50 years. Um, and school choice also will help that, help help the funding crisis that we're now seeing in our Catholic schools, because we do operate on so much less funding than the public sector, but we have so, so much bigger return, um, and it shows in our test scores as well as the character of our students that come out of Catholic schools. Uh, financial aid has been withheld from uh, Catholic schools because of the so-called Blaine Amendments, or at least that's been the excuse uh, for, well, since the 19th century. Is there anything going on now? And I, this is a genuine question. I'm not sure. Uh, is there anything going on with regard to looking at the Blaine Amendments, repealing them, whatever, right now? Uh, maybe you could say something about the Blaine Amendments real quickly and why why those uh, why those stand in the way of, of financial aid to uh, to religious schools? Absolutely. So Blaine amendments are actually uh, 19th century antiquated amendments that were intended to be very anti-Catholic in its founding. So it, Blaine amendment started from an effort from James G. Blaine, the senator from Maine, who tried to push a federal amendment uh, in U.S. Congress to block any public funding from going to Catholic schools. And this was at the, this is mid-1800s, uh, around 1860, where uh, we had a massive influx of Catholic immigration coming into the United States. So this is a lot of Catholic bigotry that started the Blaine Amendment issue. Uh, Senator Blaine failed at his federal attempt, but in a uh, kind of homage to his effort, 37 states adopted Blaine Amendments in their state constitutions. And it's written as, no public funding will go to sectarian institutions. And back in the 19th century, that meant Catholic institutions. Now, uh, state Supreme Courts, including Colorado, this happened with the Douglas County Scholarship Program in 2015, have struck down uh, different public funding streams, including school choice, because of Blaine amendments and no public funding going to sectarian schools across the religious board. So it's not just applying to Catholic schools anymore. So what's going on right now for the Blaine Amendments, actually, it's, it's very exciting. Um, we're waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court to offer their decision on Espinoza v. Montana, which right. is a direct school choice program. It's a tax credit scholarship program, which is a little different than a, a voucher education savings account because it's private funding going to a scholarship granting organization that then gives out private scholarships and the donors will get a tax break for their donation. So it's a little different in the funding stream. But what the court is going to decide is whether or not it's constitutional for a state to restrict funding from parents choosing religious schools for their children with a school choice program, directly addressing the Blaine issue. 
Now, we're probably not going to see a big, uh, a whole strike down of lanes in the 37 states across the country, but it's going to force states to have to reconsider where their position was on Blaine and a lot of litigation in the future. But on a whole, it looks like it'll probably be a win for school choice and a lot of work for us to do moving forward and a win for Colorado, too, because the Blaine issue is, is a hot button here. Well, that is good news. So we'll keep an eye on that. You know, schools... Um Schools have particularly suffered and, and will continue to suffer, especially uh, private schools, with, um, with the COVID virus um, shutting mm-hmm. them down and, and causing all sorts of financial problems as it is across the, the board in our country. But we, we have received uh, some federal money uh, mm-hmm. to help our, our, our schools. Uh, and here, here in Colorado, we're, we're, we're kind of having a little difficulty with that aren't we getting getting that money or having it distributed correctly we are so i i know all of us have been watching what's going on on the federal level in response to what happened with the covid relief bills and some of um what, what is called the cares act it's a coronavirus aid relief and economic security act was signed into law to provide economic emergency financial assistance for individuals and businesses um, many of us benefited from the cares act funding In the CARES Act, there are two different funding streams that are geared towards all education, public and private. It's called the Education Stabilization Fund. And under it, we're supposed to receive equitable services for non-public schools. However, the, the Colorado Department of Education, and this is the case in many states, not just Colorado, is disregarding the federal guidance in the distribution of those relief funds to non-public schools, including our Catholic schools. So they're interpreting the CARES funding based on the federal poverty line instead of the total allocation of all students in Catholic schools, which means we will receive substantially less financial aid that was intended for our students, and everyone has been impacted by COVID. So this is very unjust, and we're continuing to fight the battle with the Colorado Department of Education um, and make sure that they're following U.S. uh, the federal government guidance, U.S. Department of Education guidance, to make sure all of our students are counted in the the CARES Act funding. And we'll be back with uh, with Brittany for for more uh, for more uh, discussion of the work of the Colorado Catholic Conference uh, after this short break. Now is the time to get the new flooring you've been dreaming about. At O'Brien's Carpet One Floor and Home, you'll find beautiful and affordable floors on sale now. Our experts are here to help you find the perfect floor for your home and lifestyle at a great price. And only at O'Brien's Carpet One will you have peace of mind. So if you don't love the color or style of your new floor, we'll replace it for free, including installation. That's the beautiful guarantee. At O'Brien's Carpet One, we've got you covered. See store for full details. Special financing is available. We're back now with Brittany Vesely, the recently named new executive director of the Colorado Catholic Conference. That's the... uh, uh, the the social or legislative arm of the bishops of the state of Colorado. So she she helps us uh, up in Denver at the Capitol with issues that, of course, in some cases are particularly of concern uh, to the Catholic Church, but uh, also issues of that affect the common good that go you know well beyond the boundaries of of the Catholic Church. And Brittany, I'd like you to. Uh, to let our listeners know how they can uh, 
how they can find information on the Colorado Catholic Conference and um, especially uh, something about the action alerts that the conference gives out. Absolutely. So if you go to coloradocatholicconference.org, it's cocatholicconference.org, you can contact me directly or sign up for our action alerts. And our action alerts are emails that you'll receive that will uh, give you a prompt to to reach out directly to different members, of both in the state house or in federal Congress as well. But you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're active on social media too. So say it again. Say the address again, uh, Brittany. It's uh, C O right Catholic conference.org. All right, cocatholicconference.org. And those action those action alerts are, are particularly helpful because you know, you that's what you're doing full time for us. You're keeping an eye on what's going on and, and a lot of those things I think can elude uh, even the most interested parties. So to to be able to receive those right in front of our eyes on our computers is a, is an important thing. So um, I would encourage you if you have not if you have not signed up for action alerts, to please uh, to please do so. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the even though it was a short session. Let's do a quick re- review of what our Colorado legislature uh, accomplished or didn't accomplish this this past session. Right. So this this was a very odd session, and it ended with the legislature saying that they were only picking up what they considered the three Fs. It was how to be fast, friendly, and free. So they didn't want to see anything with a budget attachment to it or um, anything that would cause too much uh, controversy. So there were a lot of a lot of items that died, um, a lot of bills that were postponed indefinitely. One of them, especially as I I am new coming into this this role I wasn't as familiar with, and I think a lot of our Catholic listeners aren't familiar with, is the natural organic reduction of human remains, which is the conversion of human remains into soil, um, which is a very interesting proposal that apparently continues to pop up every single legislative session, so I wanted to make note of it. It did die indefinitely uh, this year, but it, it will certainly come up next year. Um, and the Catholic Church teaches that human life is sacred, and the dignity of the human person is the foundation of our moral society. And the conversion of human remains into soil to, uh, and, and the, the thought behind this policy to help the flourishing of the earth, it does not promote human dignity. It does not honor the, the um, likeness of humanity in God's image. So that as, as a unified compositum of body and soul. So that's one bill that we did address. Um, the other bills that turned into very hot items right at the end of the legislative session had to do with vaccines uh, and a law enforcement bill as well. The vaccine bill, um, it was something that was the, the changes in the method of which parents can opt out of vaccines for their children. And, a change in how religious exemptions are done. So under this new law that did get passed, so this isn't postponed, this this is actually on the governor's desk right now with the vaccine issue, um, religious exemptions are now going to be combined with an all non-medical exemptions. And I want to just uh, offer some peace to our listeners on that issue. That doesn't mean religious exemptions are gone. That actually will help us 
if there's any issues in terms of litigation going forward, because it's a lot easier to attach religious exemptions on as they stand alone than it is to dismantle all non-medical exemptions. So including religious exemptions within non-medical is actually a good thing. So that, that was an actual win for us. The other piece that was kind of unfortunate with the vaccine issue was uh, a re-education piece where parents who want to not vaccinate their children or, or refrain from certain vaccines, especially considering some vaccines do contain some uh, fetal remains. So that's an issue that we want to address in the future. Um, this was not the bill to do it in. But if parents do want to not engage in vaccines for their children, they have to do an online education model module or get a letter from their physician. So those were two pieces of the policy that were not uh, a make or break for us. But at the same time, it, it does cause some undue burden for parents trying to not allow uh, or uh, get an exemption from vaccines for their children. So that was a big, big bill that also went through the session. Yeah, just as a footnote to that, uh, Brittany, with with vaccines now being developed for the for the COVID virus, uh, that question is going to be big mm-hmm. too. And I'm I'm guessing from what I read that there are going to be po- probably a number of vaccines available. Some that are made with with fetal remains, the the remains of aborted babies and others that are not and i'm 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 hoping that i'm hoping that there's going to be sufficient choice for for parents when they when they come to receive their own vaccinations or vaccinate their children but i guess that's the next one down the line i i want to i want to leave time for you Brittany, to um uh, to give us a little review of the this is june of course and that means supreme court decision after decision so uh, maybe to talk, uh, because there were some big ones, a couple of big ones, and a couple of very controversial ones, to have you, uh, have you bring us up to date on those. Absolutely. Um, so I will mention, at the beginning of the month, we had our own Colorado Supreme Court decision that uh, was handed down that does impact the Catholic community. It was People v. Jones. Um, and that decision did not defend the rights of unborn children. It said that um, it, it had to do with a child that was actually in, in the womb who was injured due to uh, attacks on their mother. And the mother, unfortunately, died and the child survived, but now has uh, a lot of injuries that are going to be with them the rest of their life. And the Colorado Supreme Court did not say um, that the, the attacker could be prosecuted on behalf of the child that child was in the womb at the time. So that was a very unfortunate decision that came out of the Colorado Supreme Court at the beginning of the month. Um, as Bishop Sheridan mentioned, there's some other uh, cases that hit the U.S. Supreme Court. I already mentioned Espinoza, which we're waiting for a decision on. The other case that we're waiting on a decision for is uh, June Medical Services v. Rousseau, which has to do with a Louisiana law Related to health regulations at abortion centers, um, it's about admitting privileges for abortion clinics to hospitals, which would actually close a lot of the abortion clinics in Louisiana, but it would protect a lot of the women um, whose health is at risk by getting an abortion in the state of Louisiana. So it doesn't directly address abortion head on, but we are trying to promote the, the life of the woman who is sustaining a very damaging surgical procedure in abortion. So that is a case that the U.S. Supreme Court will hear very soon, and we are looking um, at that one favorably to, to slowly scale back Roe v. Wade across the country. 
the other two that are also of note, one is uh, our bishops actually responded with a letter on a statement on this. The U.S. Supreme Court's response to the Trump administration's uh, attempt to terminate the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival program. It's the DACA Dreamers program that has to do with immigration. So that was a favorable decision for us to uh, rescind some of the attempts of the Trump administration from terminating that program. The other one um, that is, I think, the most important one that hit the Supreme Court uh, that and decision that came from it is Bostock v. Clayton. And that has to do with the U.S. Civil Rights Act of 1964's right. definition of sex in their, their employment statute. It's the Title VII statute that uh, has to do with employment law. What it held is that an employer who files or fires an individual merely for being gay or transgender violates Title VII of the Act. It's essentially redefined the term sex in non-discrimination law to also include gen, uh, gender dysphoria, so sexual orientation and gender identity as part of the definition of sex. And for, for the Catholic Church, this is um, very problematic. It's problematic for all religious institutions and also laity in their private businesses because it does uh, set precedent to change the definition of sex in civil rights law going forward. Um, and it's, it's a definite redefinition that is arbitrary. It's unscientific and it's against our sincerely held religious beliefs as well. So this is an issue that while right now it's confined to employment law and that still impacts our Catholic schools, ministerial exemptions, Catholic hospitals, other uh, institutions um, that the church runs as well as private businesses from our laity. This could have far-reaching implications for other areas of non-discrimination law. So this was a very important case for religious liberty across the country. So there's further interpretation to that law that we're awaiting? I, I think what we're waiting for is more litigation that could uh, be an attempt to expand what that definition was. Because the uh, Justice, Justice Gorsuch, who handed down the decision, um, is actually more of a textualist. So it was very surprising because this is definitely outside of the original definition of sex in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and Justice Gorsuch acknowledges that. Uh, so I, I, and this didn't have, this case specifically did not have to do with a religious liberty issue. So it's very likely we'll see a First Amendment fight very soon uh -huh. on the redefinition of sex in the Civil Rights Act as a, as a whole, not just right. um, uh, isolated to the employment law. Okay. Well, Brittany, listen, we have just a few, just a minute or so left. Is there anything that you want to bring to the attention of our listeners that we haven't brought up? There's always a lot to talk about, but we're coming to the end. Absolutely. Um, one item that I, I would love our listeners to be aware of, and our bishops are, are going to have a statement on it very soon, uh, encouraging our lady to be involved, is the Proposition 120 late-term abortion ban right. for Colorado. So right. Colorado Colorado is one of seven states that allows for abortion up to birth. So we are very far behind when it comes to promoting a culture of life in the state of Colorado. Um, of this this uh, ballot initiative will not ban abortion across the board, but it will steal back uh, abortion to 22 weeks. Um, and this is making significant uh, 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 
headway in scaling back abortion in the state of Colorado. So we want to see a turnout of of our lady um, engaging in, in just Coloradans in general voting yes for the late-term abortion ban in Colorado in the November election. And we're going to be making a lot of efforts to, to ensure we have a turnout for the vote going into the fall. We had 153,000 signatures to get the proposition on the ballot, which was well above the threshold. That was needed. great. Yeah, so it was very great. encouraging. Yeah, very good. Brittany Vesley, thank you very much for being with us. Um, once again, cocatholicconference.org. Uh, make a visit there and find out more about what the Colorado Catholic Conference is doing, especially how to sign up for action alerts. And Brittany, again, thank you and uh, keep up the good work. God bless you. Thank you so much, Bishop Sheridan. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Joy of the Gospel, a production of the Colorado Catholic Herald in the Diocese of Colorado Springs. We look forward to joining you again next week for the next episode of The Joy of the Gospel with your host, Bishop Michael Sheridan of the Diocese of Colorado Springs.